As an entrepreneur, we have many different moments of tension, many different moments where we have to make difficult decisions. And often we have to pause before we just push through this discomfort. On this podcast, there are lots of tools that are talked about that are immediately actionable on how to be able to make good decisions in these moments of tension. Yeah, no question. Today we're talking with Bessie Graham, an entrepreneurial coach who really provided us with some framework today on exactly how to process decisions in your organization, how to take a pause, not rush to things, but really most importantly, how to create clarity, peace, and confidence in everything that you do. She even teaches us some specific heuristics, which is a new vocab word for me, but I love it. I'm going to be Googling that up and learning more about heuristics after this podcast with Bessie Graham. This episode is being brought to you by IOI Ventures. We all know that digital marketing is vital to our company's growth. Unfortunately, many of us entrepreneurs don't know where to start. We simply feel overwhelmed by acronyms like CTA, CRM, and GA. It's time for all of us to stop feeling stuck because our partners at IOI Ventures have the experience and track record to get us moving in the right direction. Want to learn more? Go to IOIVentures.com EU and sign up for your free 30-minute consultation. Bessie, welcome to the Entrepreneurs United podcast. Thank you so much. Lovely to be with you both. Yeah, absolutely. We were just discussing you're already in tomorrow, calling in from Australia. So it's in the morning there and we're still in the day prior. And you're on a mission to really help entrepreneurs and people understand, this is my understanding of your mission, that success can be achieved with integrity. Is that correct? Yeah, it's really about this mindset shift that helps us as entrepreneurs, as business owners and leaders to stop engaging with the world in this black and white way where we think everything's an either or choice and to begin to kind of realise, ah, two things can be equally true and it can be more a both and than an either or situation. Tell me more about that, the either or situation and where that comes up and what's the foundation for that? Look, I think that there's lots of aspects that make that type of thinking appealing for us as as people. If you think about the way it almost simplifies things, if you can be really definite and black and white and um, just approach the world in that way, you it can feel like that's a simpler way to live. And so we see that type of thinking everywhere, whether that is related to aspects of fundamentalism or whether that's in our our world in the business space of since the 70s we have been bombarded with these ideas that have told us the purpose of business is profit maximization and shareholder uh, pr- the primacy if you like of a shareholder over all else and so we have taken on board these ideas that lead us into engaging in the world and making decisions as if those things are just true. So you hear business leaders and entrepreneurs making comments like, well, I'm running a business, not a charity, so I have to make my decisions in this way or I must prioritise the maximisation of profit. And I love being that thought partner, the thinking partner that kind of teases you a little bit and says, really? Like, who says who says you have to do it that way? Let's unpack that and think about that a little bit more. So I think the the either or both and 
piece is just a beautiful entry point to help us stop and question things that we may have just really unconsciously taken on board as a given. And has the preference for, and I don't even want to say preference, the default for businesses are about maximizing profit. Is that an example of you helping people break this black and white type of thinking? Or is that the primary thing you're working with business owners on, which is, hey, you can do more than just make money with your business? Well, it's a little bit of both of those things because the aspect of where my passion lies and where if I look at my career of over more than 20 years, the common theme has been around business because I do really believe that business can be a powerful agent for change. So the the focus on business and what its role can be and how it can actually contribute in the world in a bigger way than just making as much money as possible, that is a central theme and passion for me. So that's not a secondary thing, it's primary. But this idea of using the concept of both end as an entryway to shift mindsets and to think differently is also, it goes beyond just business. Because I would say that for any of us that are leading an organisation, leading uh, other people, whether that's in a business setting or when we come home to our families or in any situation we find ourselves, we can't lead other people until we've led ourselves first. So beginning with that mindset shift and starting to take more responsibility for the fact that, you know, we need to be nuanced in our thinking. We need to take context into account and not just come into a situation really definite with the answer, but instead learn to... uh, do what um, one of the the women that I use her thinking a lot in the work I do with businesses is she had this beautiful phrase called apprenticing with the problem and I think that piece of coming in and listening and absorbing and making sure you actually understand the situation that is a critical skill that we need as leaders that does go beyond just the business setting. Where does your working to break the black and white type thinking, where does that stop and where is the role for decisiveness that there are priorities? There is ultimately one thing you can do at a time. You cannot both be coaching someone right now and be on a podcast and be a a great family member. You, You can't pick all. You have to be at some point decisive. Where Mm -hmm. does that come in what you work with entrepreneurs on? I think that is a beautiful question. And I think one of the pieces that I often feel frustrated about when I look at a lot of the language and messaging that is coming at us as business leaders is that we see these, this commentary and it's, much stronger in the US than it is elsewhere, but it's still present everywhere else in the world, which is this idea of the the concept of being decisive and, and making decisions quickly and, and having that, almost that hardness, the toughness that says, um, you know, even if it hurts, even if you're scared, do it anyway, push through. So there's this type of language that gets um, put on to us as leaders. 
part of why I think you need to come at any decision you make as a leader from the both and mindset rather than the either or space is that when you then get to a point where you do need to be decisive, where it is your job as the leader to be discerning and make a judgment call, and as you said, prioritise, what will I actually do? I want you to be in that position from a place of clarity and from a place that has considered the options. So if we go just to that simple piece of being in a situation where as a leader, it is now your job to make a really big and really difficult decision, you can actually make that decision from a place of clarity and peace and confidence when you have done the thinking up front. And so I always argue that in fact, we can be more efficient and more decisive as a leader if we have taken the time to get to that place of self-knowledge, of clarity on the vision of the organisation, of understanding what are our values, because that drives how do we behave, how would we show up in this situation. So I think the the messaging around things like decisiveness, I actually think both ends makes you more decisive, but rather than making a quick decision and then regretting it for the next six months and not being able to sleep because you made a terrible decision, you can make a quick decision from a place of knowledge and clarity. And equally, you can know yourself and the organisation well enough that you can have confidence to sometimes make a decision that says, you know what, the reason why we are feeling a discomfort or a fear in this situation is because this is not the right thing to do at this particular time for us as an organisation. So we are not actually going to push through the discomfort. We're going to sit here and we can re-examine that in 12 months' time. But you can decide to pause with confidence rather than thinking, oh, it's always my job to be decisive and push forward even if it hurts or it's uncomfortable. So discernment comes from clarity, not from just let's jump to action in every situation. Bessie, I'm curious as to the how. Uh, you work with entrepreneurs exactly. And when entrepreneurs are faced with situations uh, in terms of creating clarity for themselves or their organization, maybe not even in the face of an actual decision they need to make, but laying the framework for here's how we're going to process when something comes around, right? Because one of the problems we have as entrepreneurs is the shiny object syndrome. Mm -hmm. That's a great idea. Let's start selling this flavor of ice cream, you know, and then they invest all this money to get this, you know, new product or service line or anything going on, but it wasn't even part of the decision-making process. So mm -hmm. first question is how exactly do you work with entrepreneurs? And then do you recommend a certain methodology or system to be put into place to actually process decision-making so that it can be done to create clarity, peace, and confidence. Yeah, so the the aspects really, again, around, say, something like clarity, I would say that the pattern I see over and again is from a how do we operate at our best as humans? I think we need to have clarity in two big areas as a starting point. One is that we need to be grounded in something. So we need to have clarity around those aspects I mentioned before of what are our core values. And that can be both as an individual and then from an organisational perspective, what does that look like? 
So we need to be grounded in something and what that allows us to do is at any moment you can use that clarity as the touchstone to look at and say, okay, am I behaving in line with those values? Can I see in this decision or how we would need to engage moving forward if we were to proceed that it stays connected to and and aligned with our core values. So that's the first piece of, of getting clarity around what you're grounded in. Okay. But then for, for us to feel that sense of satisfaction and fulfillment and progress in life, we don't just want to stay where we currently are. We need to have clarity around our bigger vision of where are we going? What do we want to be part of in the world? What am I contributing to? And that is the piece that gives us that motivation and drive. And I think everyone needs that, but even more so as entrepreneurs, when we have that achiever in us that loves Mm -hmm. to have the next goal, the thing that you're chasing, clarity around that vision allows us to have this beautiful tension. And I don't mean tension in a bad way. I mean a positive tension between being grounded in something and moving towards something. So I think they're two very helpful places to start. And I think it comes back to that same idea of saying often as entrepreneurs, one of the pieces, I'll have these conversations with people where they're kind of saying, no, no, like, I just want you to work with me on the business model. Like, let's just, I want to jump into the action piece. And what are we doing here? But if we come back to that point that I made before of if you take a saying like uh, slow down to speed up, that is only a useful and true statement if while you're slowing down, you actually get to clarity on the things that matter and that will allow you to speed up. So in the, the, I often say that one of the things I do really well with entrepreneurs and business leaders is I'm willing to hold them in a bit of a headlock while they are kicking and screaming and, you know, want to be, no, no, I I want to move to to the next thing and and to action. And my, I've been doing this long enough that I've seen the patterns and I'm confident to say to someone, I guarantee you, you will be thankful that you take this pause now and get to, to clarity. So it's that piece of making someone sit in the reflection and the asking of tough questions mm-hmm. up front and making that more of a, a practice that they are doing, which will then position them that when anything is thrown at you, you are making that decision from a place that is able to have what I would call in terms of you asked about some of the frameworks or tools, I would say is a decision cascade process. So it's the ability to know what is the first question because the trap that we fall into as entrepreneurs and business leaders is in our desire to jump to action something that in one situation is a strength. So part of why we achieve things other people would never even dream of is that we have a different risk appetite and we jump to, you know, action and and bringing things to life. But when you shift that into a situation where you then act on something or do that that, uh, chasing shiny objects piece that you mentioned, if you make a decision that was actually a tertiary decision, it was three layers down, if you make that decision first, it constrains and changes all of your next decisions and options as an organisation and as a leader. And so 
you know, if I give you an example and I'll give you one just in a personal setting that was the place that my partner Brad and I first started to develop and use the decision cascade in our personal life and then we shifted it over into our work. And that was that when we had kids, our kids are big now, but um, when they were little, we used this process to say, okay, what's most important to us? And that became our first question in the decision cascade. And so the the first priority was that we wanted to have one of us with the kids when they were little. And so we knew like, okay, that's the primary thing. And so then the the question was, okay, so who's best to be with the kids at this particular point that we are in? And we then moved the the questions cascading down from there. So what that meant was, if you think about my point about, say, a tertiary question, we already realised that things like what school the kids would go to, where we would buy a house, all of these things had to fall below that first question. If we bought a house or made decisions about sending kids to schools that required both of us to be earning a fortune and constantly on planes and never at home, then that would change what we had said was primary for us. And so what it allowed us to do was to make those decisions in a way that meant we always kept our first decision as the primary one. And and I think that that plays out, whether it's in a personal context or a work context, when you have a decision cascade and you're clear on where those different decisions sit in terms of priorities, it also comes back to, Rich, your point before of everything can't be a priority at the same time. So what that has allowed is we swapped roles many years ago and Brad was at home as the primary caregiver because when we did our decision cascade, we said, okay, so if one of us is going to be at home, who should that be? And I said, well, I'm bored out of my brain and I do not want to be at home. (laughs) And Brad was like, I don't like any of my clients and hate going to work. So, okay, this looks like it's me that should be at home. But what that meant was over the years at different points when Brad would get bored and he'd say, oh my gosh, like, I don't want to do this anymore. Rather than have no framework to use and then throw everything out we were able to say, okay, stop, hang on a minute, you're feeling bored, let's figure out at what level of the system the problem actually lies. And so we would go back and say, is our primary question still the same? Do we want one of us at home? Yes, we do. Okay, so who's the right person to be at home? Is it you or me? And then he'd say, okay, unfortunately, yes, it still is me. So then we could drop into lower level questions and say, well, what do we need to do to make it sustainable for you? So we added in an adventure budget and he would go on big motorbike rides and things. But if you see sort of what I'm laying out here, what it gives you when you have a framework like a decision cascade is you don't accidentally be reactive and throw the whole thing out. You have a structure to walk back through in those moments of tension and say, where does the problem lie? What has changed? And how do we now make this new decision? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then and then you you said you know you concede all the options, right? You're looking at all of the potential option trees in that cascading approach. Mm-hmm. You know, one thing that uh, Bessie that I've done that uh, I swear by today, and it works wonders for me and in, in our businesses, is every year we have a one-page strategic roadmap, 
and in that strategic roadmap on the far left is your is our core values are forever. What do we, what do we want to be and live by? And then we go to, okay, where do we want to be in 10 years? Where do we want to be in five years? Where do we want to be in the next year? And what are we going to do every quarter to achieve all of these? A lot of principles into that. But one of the strategies that I've used with this model is when, and that happens every week, every month, every quarter, there's a new idea thrown on the table of, oh, we should do this now. My immediate response is, is it in our strategic roadmap? And if the answer is no, it's not in our strategic roadmap, then we should wait until the next planning session where we all get in the room and we decide that's part of the new strategic roadmap. And that gives us time to pause naturally. And or if we think it's an emergency, let's get everybody back in the room that designed that strategic roadmap so we can all evaluate the merit of this idea. That that um, Decision cascade process, I guess, is what I've created to create this pause element to be like, yeah. it's not in the plan. Uh, and so we either need to go back to the plan and reevaluate it, or we need to wait until the next time. And typically what happens is we get to the next planning phase and that idea was like an old idea. Yeah. No one really People cares about it anymore. seven more right? ideas. <laughs> How does that, is that a good way to maybe process what you're talking about in terms of kind of that decision process within an organization and are there other ideas of how entrepreneurs can execute this within their own organization because by the way that also holds me accountable because oh, when yeah. i say hey i got a really good idea let's paint the walls blue they're like uh john it doesn't say paint the walls blue in our strategic roadmap so if you want to do that <laughs> and, and they, it holds me the leader accountable as well have you seen yes. other methods like that and how would you rate that one as a method to evaluate yeah look I think that one of the pieces, and again, this comes back to what's our role as as a leader in an organisation. I love the the framing of these different kind of tools or strategies or frameworks from, if we look at some of the ancient, uh, particularly ancient Greek type thinking, they call them heuristics. So it's a thinking tool. And I would say that one of our jobs as a leader is to have a whole bunch of different thinking tools that we are very capable of calling on at any given moment. So I'm sure that you have, have this, this happen for you in your work, but I have enough heuristics or those thinking tools that I'm always confident to go into a conversation with a client or in one of my own businesses and know that on the fly, whatever comes up, I will have a tool that is appropriate to help us think through and engage with that particular issue. And I am a much bigger fan of having a broad, diverse uh, toolkit of, of different strategies, frameworks, etc., to call on than engaging with anyone in a way that is very off the shelf of like there is always a seven-step process of we do this, then we do this, then we do this. Mm -hmm. um, and so I would say that in that, that piece that you described in terms of the one pager, but then you talked about a whole different bunch of practices, ways to call someone out, things that become the 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 way that you engage as a team and an organisation. All of those different things together equip you to actually stay on track and to be more effective as an organisation. And so I think. I love the way that, that you described that and I think the fact that in that page, so when I visualise what you described, it's that to produce something like that that is on 
one page. You have had to do the work to get from a whole bunch of information to that beautiful place of simple on the other side of complexity. You've had to deal with the complexity, think through, okay, what are our values? What are our different horizons that we're working through? What are the priorities in each of those horizons? There's all of these different parts that make up something that can look quite simple because it's presented in one page, but there's depth behind that. So I think each organisation will have different tools or frameworks or strategies that they love and find helpful. And part of my work is to be able to come in as that thinking partner and help someone figure out and learn some new tools to be able to then call on as needed in any given situation. But like you, there are some of those pieces that come up again and again around, you know, the the core values, the pieces that you're focusing on over what time frame and, and what what is most important right now. All of those types of things will be patterns. I have a question that I don't mean to be intentionally challenging. Uh, yeah. It may just come naturally to me. Um, <laughs> I'm the same, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> so we started the conversation around getting out of the black and white thinking. And then yeah. we relatively quickly moved to needing to answer a question, what's most important? And having there be a decision cascade so you can keep the first decision as primary So we went from this, hey, uh, let's go from either or to both and, but then we quickly went to, you have to pick one. What's most important? What if my answer, Bessie, is I want it all. I want, uh, I don't want to have to pick one. I want yes and. I want uh, somebody to be with the kids all the time. I want two fulfilling careers where we both feel like we've accomplished something meaningful outside of the home. Uh, I want to travel, but I don't want it to enter. Like, I'm having a hard time with what appear to be competing philosophies that I heard. Sure. So I think one of the bits that helps answer something at the level of of those pieces that feel difficult in where we've landed is that often we take out of the equation the concept of time or time frame. So uh, earlier in the conversation, you made that that comment around when you were talking about priorities and saying, you know, that challenge of you can't have everything at the same time all at once. One of the pieces that if we go back to how do we strengthen our ability to bring nuance and context and think more broadly is that we start to be able to zoom in and out. And I would say in response to that, that if in a conversation, part of where you land is that there is this incredible breadth or scope to what it is you want and that what will feel fulfilling, then all of these tools, what they allow you to do is to map out and run scenarios, think it through, and then figure out, okay, well, what would those horizons be or what would that timing be? Is it that we need to both have that sense of a career or travel and it has to be at all times in every chapter of our lives or is it that we want that to happen over the course of a different span? So, for example, with Brad, my partner and I, we have 
uh, significant age difference. So he's 17 years older than me. He had been there, done that, achieved things and was like, okay, <laughs> your turn. So it wasn't that we were saying one wants fulfilment and one will be deprived, but it was about different chapters, different times. So I think one response to your question would be that part of what taking this approach to your thinking allows you to do is to rather than just be reactive and jump into the action phase straight away trying to have everything all at once at the same time it allows you to do that piece that that then structures it and says okay so we're if we're trying to do all of these things as an organization at the same time let's run those scenarios and then go oh when i pull that into a business model canvas and I then think about the fact that my team in the key activities section is going to suddenly have to be working 100 hours a week and they all just told me that they want to be active and engaged with their kids and playing sport. I'm now starting to realise that this isn't practically falling into place in the way I thought it was. So it's using those heuristics or tools to do that first throwing everything out on the page of here's what we want to try to achieve but then having ways to filter, run scenarios, think through how might this play out. So one of the pieces that we always use as a a, um, reference point is take it to its logical end. So okay if I've made that statement, play it out, how will that actually now interact with different parts of this business or these people's lives. And that's where tools like what uh, you described, John, or or tools like the Business Model Canvas are so much more powerful than an 80-page business plan because if you're drawing a business model and you've got this new idea that you're wanting to add in to your organisation, you can on one page very quickly see the relational pieces. So you can suddenly say, oh, now that I've changed who that customer segment is, none of our value propositions appeal to them. And the the way in which we have structured our pricing will not work for this new customer segment. So tools allow you to have that sense check. When you have these big ideas or this uh, dream or vision of like, I want all these things. You need to have frameworks and tools to be able to do the sense check and then come back to saying, okay, is that actually still what I want? And I would say that then the piece where a both and mindset or learning to try to create a win-win, that comes in because again, when we then use those tools, like a business model canvas, which I use all the time with business owners, is to say, Now we actually have the opportunity to keep redesigning and trying to find, is there a way that we could do this so that it did create a win-win? So something like the trying to use a business to do good in the world and not just be about profit maximization. What I find is when people stay in that space where they say, okay, well, doing good is a nice thing to do it might even be the right thing to do but they're still thinking about that related to charity or not being commercial my job from a both and perspective is to say hang on what if you used the business model canvas to help you work with your business model until you find a situation where you can create 
something that's mutually reinforcing. So where by doing good in the world, it actually gives you a competitive advantage. And that brings us back into that place that I suspect you felt we were losing when we were using something like a decision cascade or prioritising one thing over both. So the the tools are the sense check and they are your ability to then continue to tweak and redesign to find the best combination that gives you the win-win. Thank you. I think you've laid out uh, a few pieces of the quilt work that I've been able to stitch together. I want to validate it with you because it came from a couple of parts of the conversation. What I'm gathering that you do for entrepreneurs is during moments of tension, and these are all your words, and I'm kind of stitching together through the conversation. During moments of tension, instead of following your desire to jump to action, pause with confidence, consider your thinking tools or heuristics that'll give you time to consider nuance, context, and be able to think more broadly. So my original, when I said I have a challenge, but I don't mean to be challenging, the, your first thing was something about time. And I think that was a piece maybe I was missing when I was thinking of the Duke. Because I'm like, how can you possibly say you can have both? You don't have to make decisions. And then it's like, the first thing you talk about is you have to make a decision. What's most important? And it's like, how? And it's like, no, no, no. you're not saying don't ever make decisions. You're saying don't follow your compulsion to make a decision right away. You don't have to do it right away. Pause with confidence. Use your heuristics to get together a decision cascade where you can consider nuance and context and think more broadly. Am I stitching these together in a way, please correct me or validate my understanding of what we've talked about so far? Yeah, so I I think that that is a really useful stitching together of it. And I think the, the pieces that I would add would be that we're looking for that situation where from the the components of creating that win-win, we're also then able to use the new mindset that we have and that ability to sit with nuance rather than just a, a, a black and white piece to actually come up with things that will be new opportunities that ultimately can create a completely different business model, for example. And so obviously there's a whole nother conversation and, and um I won't go into all of the details around some of those components I, I touched on a moment ago around the competitive advantages. But when we shift our mindset around the role of business and we start to think about creating this win-win where you can do good and make money, what it allows, because we have opened up our thinking piece first, we then see opportunities that other people wouldn't even see because they aren't looking at the world in the same way. So I think that's the second piece that I would add to what you've said is that I would want to reassure entrepreneurs that, yes, there is the component of saying, please pause and sit in that space of confidence to use the tools before you just jump to action. But I would want to reassure them that the more you do this, it actually isn't this massively time-consuming thing because you have clarity, you build a, um, a skill set and you build up that match fitness, if you like, then in the same way that, that you guys have your one pager that you come back to and that then the team know, oh, I can use this to push back on you if you're throwing something at me. 
all of those pieces, as you do this more, you become able to already make those decisions much quicker without an extended pause because you have clarity. So I think it's important to reassure that we're not just talking about always having these in-depth navel-gazing exercises, um, but it's also the piece that by doing that up front, you will become more efficient at it and then what it will do is open up what is even possible and what you see because of the fact that you have started from a place of taking in the whole and then narrowing in on what is most important now. Thank you. The heuristics, I've never heard the term heuristics before. If I have, it hasn't stood out to me as much as it is when you're using it as thinking tools. What would be maybe two or three heuristics that you find most useful for entrepreneurs in their decision-making that we could just straight away offer them as tools uh, for listening to the podcast that they can start using for thinking tools? So one of them is a, a tool that the uh, Roman orators, so again, think ancient thinkers, used to use, which is very common, but most people don't know where it comes from, which is a framing around what, so what, now what. And it's, again, a levelling type tool. Often thinking tools have a sense of relationship or levelling to them because it helps you pull apart different components of your thinking. The what, so what, now what I use all the time with entrepreneurs because it allows us to think about, okay, together those three things are really powerful. Entrepreneurs are better than most at the third piece of now what, which is that jump to action, like let's actually do something. And we get frustrated if it just stays in a conversation. So we tend to be really strong at that. But if if we use that heuristic or thinking tool to help them pull apart how to be most effective, the what is in that space of being able to zoom out, see all the moving pieces, the different data points, the different information. And there's a, a level of that that is often sits with a certain type of thinking. So, you, you know, you might think of people who you go, oh, wow, they're really smart. They can rattle off and they know all the statistics and the research and they can quote this and that. But again, if we go to the piece of how do we be most effective, if we just stay in a place where we are really clever and we can name all of the what, but we don't do anything beyond that, then it's not very useful to us. But it is a, a starting point. Then what we need to do as entrepreneurs is move down into the so what. And so what is where you think of things like, okay, how would I start to uh, – think about the okay sense making of all of that what are there patterns here are there pieces where I can say okay actually of all of this information that I've been able to take on board there's three big patterns that emerge and they're these things right so it's the sense making of the so what what, what does all that information mean and then the piece that I am most passionate about and and would say is is my biggest strength like most entrepreneurs is that for most people, they then don't move beyond that. They often are too scared to make a decision. But the the way I frame now what is about the courage to choose. And that is that for us as entrepreneurs, you can use this piece to help move through this process, take the what, structure it up and make sense of it to pattern it in the so what, 
and then drive to action. So now have the courage to make a decision and step into that. So so that's a really helpful um, heuristic. We also have already talked about another one, which is the business model canvas. Again, a framework that um, from a thinking perspective, I have been using the business model canvas for since they were first um, trialling it sort of 13 years ago and developing the idea. It is part of the way I think about a business to the extent that I don't have to draw one. I, When I'm talking about a business, I will point as if I'm pointing at sections of the business model canvas. As a tool, it becomes so automatic because it is how my brain thinks about the relationships and those nine parts of a business. So the think the as a thinking tool example, business model canvas is a great a great um, uh, tool that entrepreneurs can think of in that way. So that's that's a few. I mean, there's a, there's a lot. Most things that you find helpful to structure your thinking or pull different ideas apart would be a thinking tool. I see the the business model canvas. If I'm not mistaken. Does that come from a, a book? Uh, where, where does someone find that? I, yep. I, remember, I so, can't remember what it is. So the book was called Business Model Generation, okay. um, but the strategizer are the organization that own that. If you literally just type in Business Model Canvas, it will okay. come up. They have loads of free tools and videos and, and pieces that will we'll talk you through the business model canvas itself and then they also did us a, a whole book just on value propositions so they developed a value proposition canvas which is the center box in a business model canvas so lots of tools online um, if people want to look at something like the business model canvas and I would highly recommend that if as an entrepreneur you don't yet know how to use the business model canvas you are missing out on the quickest way to get to that place we talked about before of simple on the other side of complexity mm. rather than accidentally being simplistic because it, you might look at a business model canvas and say, okay, you've got an, one piece of paper with nine boxes on it. Like that couldn't possibly be a powerful tool for a business. Yeah. And yet for you to be able to boil your thinking down to fit something on a post-it note, you have to have thought it through and, and have a depth behind that that is incredibly powerful as a business a business owner. Yeah, I love that. So um, one of my favorite books, uh, I was brought up in this conversation as uh, when Rich was mentioning earlier, but is The One Thing is one of my favorite books. Yes, yep. And one of Rich's favorite books is Pat Lincioni's The Advantage. And I noticed that those are two of your top mm -hmm. favorite books. Oh, yeah. But then also you are writing a book uh, that is not quite announced when it's coming out yet. Or, but I think we have a good sense of what it's going to be. Yeah. Um, talk to us a little bit about that journey, uh, when that might be coming out, and what people can expect from that. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the joy of publishing cycles means that it's always a, <laughs> a long a long journey, so it'll be probably end of twenty four that the the book will actually be out. But the the structure and content is very well um, developed. Really, the the purpose for the book for me is to say I've used it to force myself to be disciplined to go. What have I learned over the last twenty years, and how would I actually boil that down and make sure? that I could share with as many business leaders as possible 
the things that I think will allow them to design a business which can actually do good and make money. And so that has been a really great uh, exercise for me to have to go through because like anyone, when you've been doing something for a long time, there's a whole bunch of things that just become you don't even remember the the steps that take. It just feels like, oh, isn't that obvious? Doesn't everyone know <laughs> how to do that? And so I've had to, through the process of really focusing on what does a reader need, where are they at, had to get clearer at something like, for example, the core message of my book is that you can do good and make money. In fact, doing good is the competitive advantage your business has been missing. And that second piece around the competitive advantage I just thought that was a given. So I would always say, you can do good and make money. But it was this piece of, ah, unless we actually drill into and be really specific. So I've pulled out sort of what I think are the nine competitive advantages of doing good. And unless we talk people through and break down some of those myths around their beliefs that they've just taken on board that the purpose of business is profit maximisation. So in the book, I talk them through the aspects of where did that come from? That's actually not the roots of business. It's deeply human to trade and barter and have commerce. That's always been part of how we've operated. And it is not driven from a place of profit maximisation. So the, the book has been this beautiful exercise in kind of breaking down some of those myths, talking to people about the mindset shift that needs to occur and then giving them the confidence to realise, oh, I can actually have some very specific ways that I use something like the business model canvas to figure out how my business in particular, rather than just a generic idea of business, can actually make an impact in the world. So that's that's been the... uh, the process, if you like, of going through that. And and um, I'm really looking forward to the book being an option for me to share what I know more broadly than the extent to which I'm going to be able to work one-on-one with people. So obviously a book is is a much better way to get that message out more broadly. Absolutely. And one-on-one, I'm assuming, is what you do, right? Entrepreneurial coaching, yes. one-on-one with entrepreneurs. And I can only guess that you, you know, one of the biggest places you start is where's your business model canvas? Let's get that together. So if an entrepreneur listening to this is like, I don't have a business model canvas, I'd like to understand how to do that. Where can they reach out, learn more and get more of your content? Yeah, absolutely. So best place to go would just be to my uh, personal website, which is bessiegraham.com. And from there, you'll be able to find the podcast. You can send me an email. You'll find my LinkedIn, Instagram, etc. So just go directly to bessiegraham.com and then you can start to go on that that journey. Maybe listen to some of the podcasts and and explore the ideas a bit more first um, to figure out the best entry point for you depending where you're at. That's great. Thank you very much. Pleasure. Please stick around for a few more minutes while Rich and I break down this episode. Rich, one of the things that I've learned in the past five years or so uh, as an entrepreneur and making decisions is that I, cl- I now call it one door and two door decisions. Having a strategic roadmap, a business model canvas, and having a framework, a cascading uh, decision cascade process, I should say, critically important. And within your organization, you do need to have a little bit of a line on uh, what decisions are okay to just make right now 
uh, I need to order some pens. Just order some pens. It's fine. If we don't like them, we'll return them back to Staples tomorrow. It's not a big deal. It's reversible. You can you can kind of move forward through things. There's some decisions that are one door decisions. They're not reversible. Once you hire that person and put them on your payroll, now you have an employee in your organization that you need to deal with responsibly. Uh, once you make a decision to pivot your marketing campaigns, go after new segments of business. Some of these are just not reversible decisions and uh, they get very tricky. And so one of the things I've learned that, that I think Bessie really doubles down and everything she talks about here is be really, really, really careful with these large decisions you need to make in your life. And the larger the decision, the more the pause button needs to be pressed, the more you need to evaluate all of your options. And she said something we didn't talk about enough. You need to be an apprentice with the problem or an apprentice with the opportunity and really go and study what is the decision you're going to make. And again, maybe the what, so what, and now what comes into that framework as well. But you need to be a student of that decision and all the consequences that decision will make. Way too many times, and you know me as the ready, fire, aim uh, guy, when I did that with one door decisions, I paid the price a few times uh, and it could be very, very dangerous. So I think there's a line that I've now drawn between the one door decision and two door decisions and the, and, the, and the time and space I need to give myself to really understand what I'm doing when the one door decision presents itself. Yeah, it's an interesting distinction between irreversible decisions and pause and what appear to be reversible. You know, she also talked about tertiary decisions though. So just making decisions which may impact, she said that it can constrain and strain future decisions if we make too many of the tertiary decisions first. Mm. Um, This isn't the first podcast where the idea of pausing comes up. This is the first podcast that has been so tooled up with what do you do during the pause? (laughs) Great. So you pause. Um, What do you do? And this whole idea of heuristics and having thinking tools and, and the way that she just described the confidence she has because of the thinking tools she has and being tooled up in how to think she can approach any problem and be able to apply some of these tools and be a go-to person. Uh, Gosh, that's something that I would like to get better at myself. I think I have some of these. I've never titled it under heuristics, but it sure makes me curious to be like, what are all the thinking tools? What are all the heuristics? This is like a thing that we can get educated on. Yeah. Well, I shared one on on this call in terms of how I process decision making and thinking relating to a business decision. I mean, the old one that I that my dad taught me, right, was we had to make a decision. I was like, okay, he did a little like plus and minus column. I was like, okay, let's put all the pluses, put all the minuses. That I bet is, that would be a heuristic, right? That's a thinking tool, uh, and there are many, many more. You know, it's interesting how many times, and 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 I think you know exactly where I'm going to go with this one. When you're talking to someone about a decision and they're like, I don't know, I haven't made a decision yet. I need more time. And, and, and we used to say to them, well, listen, and you know, decisions are based on information, not time. What more information yep. do you need to make your decision? Yep. <laughs> and, yep. and the reality is time and pause doesn't solve or provide more clarity necessarily. It's the thinking tools that do. It's the heuristics that do. 
And I think it's a really good way to frame it, which is when someone says, I just haven't made a decision yet. I need more time or any more time to think about it. Assisting them with what the tools are that they're using to think about this problem or opportunity is a really good thing for entrepreneurs, CEOs, presidents. It doesn't, doesn't matter where your role is when you're talking to a colleague who's facing a big decision. Help them with the thinking tools or standardize the thinking tools in your organization, maybe even better, so everybody understands the same framework that people use to evaluate the decisions. So I just came to light here as you're talking about the pause idea. The pause really doesn't do anything. It's what you do during the pause that is critical. You know, this idea of a decision cascade, I, I think I've told you this before, but Shelby and I created a decision cascade on how we're going to operate together in life. And the number one piece on the decision cascade was be healthy individuals. And that was what we would prioritize. The number two piece on the decision cascade was have a healthy marriage, have a healthy relationship. Because if you're not a healthy individual, how are you going to have a healthy relationship? The number three was the kids which was very controversial for some people when I described this to them because they're like, what? The kids aren't number one? And it's like long-term, that doesn't work out well if the kids are number one. The kids eventually leave the house and you're left with your partner (laughs) and that relationship. Uh, And if we always prioritize the kids, sometimes we lose ourselves. And then the number four in our decision cascade is uh, whatever else happens, whatever else is out there. This actually came up yesterday when the family was uh, going over on the weekend over to Shelby's mom's house to the pool. And I said, I'm going to ride my bike over there, which takes about a 30 minute ride to get over there. I hadn't gotten my exercise in for the day. And I knew it was, it was unquestionable. Shelby absolutely supported it. She said, okay, like I get what he's doing. There was zero pushback. She went over there, got some things set up. I took care of myself for the half hour instead of driving over there for seven minutes. Uh, I just highlight this decision cascade as an example of one of the heuristics. Some of this stuff I feel like entrepreneurs may already be using, but it's one of those things that when we have a title to it, when we know, oh, well, that's actually a thing, we may be more likely to use them and help in our decision-making and thinking. Yeah, I think she she mentioned that a little bit too, right? When I was giving her the example of the strategic roadmap, she's like, your strategic roadmap is a strategic roadmap. The process that you've trained your organization on how to use it, the depth behind the strategic roadmap is really where the magic is. You could put core value posters on the wall and no one follows them. It's, it's the magic of how do you follow? How do you demonstrate the practice behind here's what we're talking about. And and what I what it keeps coming back to for me a little bit is not only clarity on what you're trying to achieve, but clarity on the process to which you're going to follow. If you have both of those things in place, the cascading decision tree goes back through them. As an example, similar to your example, in creating the one thing life plan, right? Finding my true north and going, here's what I want to achieve in my life. Okay, here's what I want in 10 years and five years and one year and all these different segments of my life, right? Relationship, health, financial, whatever. If you came to me right now with an opportunity to do something that didn't fit in that plan, I have my thinking tool. 
my thinking tool is right here. I need to be disciplined to it. So clarity on what you're trying to achieve as a person, as you are with Shelby and or the way Bessie is with her partner, clarity of what you're trying to achieve in your business, whether it be your business model canvas, whether it be your strategic roadmap, whether it be just these are our core values when we hold to having clarity on these things. When you do have a decision, you got to run it through those mechanisms as well as other heuristics that you may have available to you. But you have to have clarity on who you are and what you're trying to achieve first. You know, it's probably a good litmus test if you haven't used that clarity or if you haven't used your core values. If you haven't used that clarity to help you make a difficult decision, then maybe you're not so clear.